When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Trott is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Uh, I should have added uh, another description there. Weary traveler. Uh, Doug joins us. They're yeah. climbing off yet another red eye. Oh, Doug, yeah. You must have good. set a new career high in red eyes this season, right? Is this like your 17th? Yeah, I mean, it's it may well be 17. <laughs> Anytime I've gone to L.A., and sometimes I do two in one trip, I and mean, that's a bad sign. Oh. I, it was it was real bad once I was on JetBlue, and I had the same flight attendants going back because it was, like, within 24 <laughs> hours. And they were like, they like, wait a minute, weren't you on the flight last time? I was like, yeah, this is, this is a bad sign. Uh, double red eye. So I guess you have two eyes, so that makes sense. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I mean – I, I can't say it's probably good, but I I'm very familiar with how to be sleep deprived. I guess I just kind of, <laughs> you know, I I just function pretty well. I I sort of long term. I'm sure my physician would say we got to find another way. But um, yeah, I was in San Diego, and uh, yeah, I did Saturday and Sunday, and the Padres had that big seven run inning, and then the Dodgers came back on Sunday and scored a lot early. And, you know, I guess we're calling them Fruki now with Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts. I mean, these guys, wow. So they both hit home runs and they're just amazing. So, um, yeah, so I got in. Actually, my flight originally out of San Diego back to Hartford was canceled. And it was canceled right right just as the game started. So I couldn't deal, you know, do anything about it. And then I was like, oh, boy, now I'll never get a flight. And then the cancel, they rescheduled and then they canceled again. So it looked like I was going to leave on Monday, but then um, I uh, called and was able to go through Boston because the issue was in Atlanta area and I was connecting. So I was able to get a nonstop to Boston and it it magically, it happened because I got Carl Ravitch's seat. Like he had just canceled to get a different flight and he his seat opened up and I happened to call. It was like total miraculous. Wait, you didn't coordinate that. Come on. No, no, it it was crazy. Like I, I texted him. Well, I was with Eduardo Perez and he said, he's like, well, I think Carl just uh, canceled. And then we pieced it together and he was on the earlier flight and, 
you know, when I was talking to travel, they said, I see just opened up, you know, I was like, <laughs> wow. So I got lucky. I got out of there and I'm able to do this podcast. Now. Otherwise I'd be in the plane right now. So, wow. uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, but yeah, it was, it was great. It was still a great series, but yeah, I'll, I'll catch up on sleep this week. No problem. Well, I'm glad you made it. Uh, the thing I took away from this is you are not deprived of being sleep deprived. No, I'm not. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. That, we put that on the record. I don't know what it means, but we, we've got that established. <laughs> so last week, Doug, we got to preview the trading deadline. This week, we get to look back at the trading deadline with a man who has worked his magic at more of those deadlines than anyone in baseball. I'm pretty sure, right? That would be the Phillies president of baseball operations, Dave Dombrowski. Dave, welcome back to Starkville. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm sure you're right about, I don't know about the magical part of it, but I will say I know I've had more deadlines than anybody else. <laughs> I do know that part of it. <laughs> yeah, let's think about it. Your first deadline as a general manager was 1988 with the Expos. Is that right? That's correct. So yeah, that would mean... years ago. Yeah. Okay, if I'm doing the math in my head right, that would mean this would be your 36th deadline yeah. <laughs> running a big league team. Now, I don't want to make you feel old, but does it feel like you've been through 36 of them or like 136? No, you know, it's interesting because um, I, I fortunate when you do, you're doing what you enjoy. It just comes with the territory. So it's just part of the baseball calendar that I find so fascinating. I, I remember Bart Giamatti way back once and uh, when he was alive in the commissioner and talked about the magical season of baseball and how you're in spring training and then all of a sudden you just get to the end and the regular season begins and and in our schedule that's how it is and all of a sudden you get to the trading deadline you're ready for it and okay now we're ready to go on from there and hopefully get into the postseason so, <laughs> I, I love it and love being prepared for it well that's that's great I'll, I'm going to ask you to look back on maybe your your most memorable deadlines um but one thing that occurred to me Dave is you had many opportunities to try to trade for Doug Glanville. Was Doug ever on your shopping list? Any deadline well, you can remember? Many times, but he was never available. That was always the yeah. thing. His other clubs loved him so much, so he was never available. That was always the thing. Doug, are you buying that? The, the Cubs and Phillies were saying you were untouchable? It feels right, so I'm going to go with it, yeah. <laughs> but you did get traded at a deadline, just not to a Dave Dombrowski team. I did. I got traded from Texas to the Cubs and, and John Hart made me guess which team I got traded to before telling me. And he's like, yeah, I traded you back to one of your old teams. And I was like, I said, don't say Philly because I think I turned down a better deal in Philly in free agency. <laughs> so don't say Philly. He's like, no, nah, Chicago. So uh, yeah, yes, it was a multiple choice of two. <laughs> Dave, have you ever done that? Like made the guy guess where you were trading him? No, I've never done that. I, I have not. I have a couple times in my career particularly when I was with the Marlins when we were in that unusual situation of breaking up that world championship club, that there were a couple of, we, we signed players with the idea they were going to be with us for a lengthy time period, of course. And so at that time period, there were a couple of comparable type trades that if you could try to help the player out and go to a place where they desired, I wouldn't be able to do that from a professional perspective if the deal was a lot better somewhere else but comparable and say, okay, these work out. How do you feel about these places? Do you have a preference? So I have done that, 
but uh, never given them uh, hey, guess where you're going. I have not had that pulled out. <laughs> he can file that one away. John Hard Trading Tips. Um, I, let, let's let's get down to business and look at what your team did at this deadline. Uh, your big move was to trade with the Tigers for, I think it's safe to say, one of the best starting pitchers on this market, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, you traded a 20-year-old infielder who was one of your best hitting prospects. I know how you Lee. Uh, what drove that trade, Dave? Well, when we went into the deadline and been really talking about this for about a month, there were a couple factors for us. One kept being, is Bryce Harper going to be able to move from DH to play first base? Will he be capable of doing that? Because that way we could define what our needs would be. And once we become convinced, he's not playing there every day, but Bryce can handle first base. That allows us to move Kyle Schwarber into the DH spot, which really then we can put somebody else out in left field. We talked about right-handed bats, but that was one of our needs. But we also improved our defense tremendously. You know, Schwarber's is outstanding, tremendous person. You know, it doesn't move quite the same way he used to. So for us, being able to put somebody else out there. The other thing we really need is starting pitching depth. Not necessarily our big five who've all pitched well for us, but we know when we get to this time period, the last couple of months of the season, you have to be very careful with your pitchers, making sure they're healthy. But if somebody needs a break or something happens, we didn't feel that in our system. We had that real strong protection guy for us that would help us get through to try to make the postseason. Now, probably if you'd say, okay, we know Wheeler, Nola, Walker, Suarez are going to stay healthy. And then we had to put somebody else in there. We, I think we'd have been okay. But if one of them needed a break, we brought up a young guy. I think we would have taken a step back as far as trying to qualify for the postseason. So for us, the ideal player pitcher was somebody who could start. But if we get into the postseason, could also go to the bullpen. Not a lot of people fit that description. But that's what we're really looking to try to find. And, of course, we're fortunate enough to be able to trade for Michael Lorenzen. You know, Dave, one of the things I really in, in enjoy doing after the deadline is, is is talking to people like you about how deals get done. Could you maybe pull back the curtain, walk us through the process uh, of trading for this guy? Did uh, did you target Michael Lorenzen? Uh, was he one of a handful of starters on your list? Did you have a much larger list? And if you did, why him? Well, we had a much larger list of starting pitchers which we were working from over the last month, uh, myself with some other people in our organization, Mike Ondo primarily with who's our director of professional scouting. We identify some pitchers that we think have a chance to be available. And we then in turn, not only scout them by watching them on television, but we send our scouts to watch them in person. So you try to keep a pulse of how they're thrown at that particular time, because we all know that guy might be throwing the ball real well for three months and all of a sudden you get to July and something's happened to him, arms not feeling quite the same. So you want to make sure that he's thrown the same way. So we identify those pitchers, send our scouts there, daily basis, we're getting information. One of the real unusual aspects to me of this trading deadline was even going into the all-star break where a lot of times you separate who's going to be in the race and who's not. With the number of clubs that were close, there were a lot of clubs that weren't willing to identify that, hey, we're going to move players. So there were only about a handful of clubs at that particular time. So it kind of kept us in, in sort of a, a dance of who who may be available on that list. So we had that long list. We had to protect ourselves, not only guys who could start or relieve, but just 
playing starting pitchers because, for example, Christopher Sanchez, we could make that type of pitcher on our club. And then as we start going off over the list, it start paring down because a lot of clubs, we identified a couple of pitchers on, on the list that could do that. But all of a sudden their club said, well, we're no longer, we're not trading guys, we're adding. <laughs> so all of a sudden that list started coming down further and further as far as the numbers were concerned. And there were very few guys that were in the position of starting and relieving. So he was somebody we had identified all along. We continued to watch him. He was throwing the ball very well. We knew he was going to get traded because the Tigers, they were in a position, they were looking to move players, a free agent at the end of the year. So it was a matter of that then, okay, staying on top of the situation to see if we could make a trade. And of course, a lot of clubs interested in him. Um, they had also another starting pitcher, Eduardo Rodriguez, they were talking about. So they had a lot of things on their plate. But we were in a position, we just kept following him, following him, following him. And I, I would say we engaged the Tigers about a week in advance of when we made the trade, just let them know we had in for, had a lot of interest in them, stayed in contact. Of course, the asks, even a week in advance, end up being a lot more than they are near the trading deadline. But sometimes you get those deals and you end up losing on a player. So staying on top of it, having conversations. One of our uh, special assistants, David Chad, came from the Tigers organization, knows some people over there, stayed in contact with them. So we tried to keep a pulse of what was taking place. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a sense of the back and forth? You have any idea how many texts, how many phone <laughs> right. calls uh, it, it takes to make a trade like this happen? Well, there's varying numbers. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I'll go back to trading deadlines. Uh, again, when you talk about it, I remember we got Doug Fister many, many years ago. Uh, I was in a position we acquired him from Seattle with Jack Sarinsic. We must have been in contact a hundred times <laughs> in a week period. Oh, my God. Um, Sometimes all of a sudden it'll happen in one or two. This one, we had a lot of conversations, a lot of it because they had Scott Harris as their general manager. Um, he had a lot on his plate at this time. So they can, the, the person who's in charge also has to delegate. So between some of his assistants, one of them, Scott Bream, who worked with David Chad, he and David Chad, they must've been, I would say they might've had a hundred texts between them <laughs> the week period back and forth. And then Scott and I, I'd say, had a handful, a half dozen over the last three, four days as far as um, getting this done. And then really it narrowed down the last day. And it, it didn't get done till the middle of the afternoon or early afternoon on that uh, trading deadline, because even early in the morning, the asks were different and the asks were for a couple of people. And then they finally narrowed down and say, OK, let's let's push come to shove. I knew they really liked Lee. We like Lee. We didn't want to trade him. But again, you have to to give to get. And uh, that's when we finally were able to consummate the trade. Well, you know, Dave, I, I'm curious about, you know, how much in coordination with the farm system you have to be when it comes to young prospects. You know, it's like you have, there's times I'm sure you've seen where you've had so many, and that's an indicator that I need to move people because you can't protect them all, right? You can't protect them all on these rosters. So how does how does that play into your strategy of saying, okay, you know, we might have an embarrassment of riches and prospects, but we're also in it or we're not in it. Like, how does that kind of flip with, with respect to the depth of your, your prospect list? Well, I'm sure everybody's different because um, in some clubs that I talked to down the stretch where they were saying, well, if it's a pure rental, we're not giving up any of our prospects. We're just not mm -hmm. going to any of our good prospects. So, and then there's others that feel that they have a chance to, hey, we're going to win this thing, or this is so important to us, I'm willing to do that. And I think you analyze that each and every year. 
for us in our trade room and here in Philadelphia, we have this beautiful room, a draft room, we call it, but we use it for this um, with some big boards up there where you can put a lot of information. We have about 20 people in that room for a trading deadline. So we have people, um, professional scouts, people from the front office, people from the event that provide us information from an analytical statistical perspective. Our director of player development, Preston Mattingly is here. So you're getting people that, that consult Charlie Manuel, Larry Boar here, you get different perspectives. So I, I think you, you can never get too much information as long as you just don't let everybody go wild and crazy and just be yelling and screaming, which they don't. So I, I think that the amount of information that you can get at that point can only be helpful. So having everybody like that, but being in constant contact with Preston Mattingly, of course, Sam Fold is here as the general manager and he's doing the same thing and Jorge Valandia. So we've got that information, but it's extremely important because there are some players on our, our list that we just weren't going to trade. Now, when I say that, if somebody says, hey, we'll trade you Miguel Cabrera in his prime, well, you'll trade <laughs> a lot different list. But with what we were talking about here, we weren't going to trade a handful of players, let's say, in our organization. But there were another group of players that we didn't want to trade. But again, you have to give to get. And in the case of a Lee situation here, we like him a lot, thinks he's going to hit, play second base, may have to go to third, um, but he can really hit. And we think he'll continue to hit as he's, he's only 20 years old. But we also have some depth now. We have not only here, we have Turner and Stott, Bohm, but we also have some young infielders in our organization too. So we figured, well, this is one um, based upon the circumstance that we feel we can make. You know, you touched on this. Um, the the other goal that you had at the deadline, finding a right-handed hitter who could play left field. You obviously never found that guy. Did you ever get down the road on anyone like that? Well, we talked um, a lot. Same thing, had a long list going into the, the there. Um, to the the meetings, which are about started on Friday, the, the before the deadlines, so about four days in advance. Uh, again, a lot of those names got eliminated because some clubs, even down to the end, pulled their names off. So their that list got limited. And we had always talked about that unless the the right individual came available, that we have Marsh playing center field. Now he's out for a short time period, but he'll be back. We had Pache coming back. We really like the young kid Rojas and we like his defense and of course his speed. So are we going to go all out to add that left fielder or are we going to be dependent upon who's there more so? And we really decided that we really were going to have to get enamored with the name that was out there because we know that we can play defense, which hasn't been, let's say, our the Philly outfield tradition here in recent <laughs> years. Um, but we did have with Marsh and Pache and this Jay Cave, who was tearing up AAA for us and has had some big league experience. And then Rojas, we knew we could we could play defense with anybody in Major League Baseball with that group. And we also have speed. And the reality for us, we kept coming down to, well, we have three young players in our lineup that are really good offensive players um, and really good players in Stott, Bohm, and Marsh. And we have what we call our big five which when we call it is Schwarber and Turner and Harper and Castellanos and Riamulto. And we kept coming down to that. That group's going to have to carry us offensively. I mean, and they're good enough to do so. We know that. So let's not just pick up somebody who might be the same type of player who might be a swing and miss type of left fielder or may not play real good defense for us. 
so we we talked about it, but we have ultimately came down to we like the way our group settles here. We can win with this group. We can catch the ball out there. And and look, for example, Rojas, he may not hit the ball out of the ballpark at this stage of his career, although he has power. But he's a guy that reminds me of the old St. Louis Cardinal days when we used to play back with him. He can get a little chopper in the infield, and he's on first base. That's how well he runs. And then all of a sudden, he's on second because he can steal. And then all of a sudden, he saves a, a run because he catches a ball in the gap. So it's a little bit different way of looking at it. But we thought we were able to achieve that. Um, by using that combination in left field and rather than going out and getting somebody. Yeah, I mean, as you just described, that that guy that you were shopping for, almost nobody liked that guy traded this year. I, it feels to me like the group of position players in general um, at this deadline was the thinnest of any bat market at any deadline I can ever remember. Do you agree? I think so. Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. Wow. There were not a lot of big name free agents that are um, positional players that are becoming free agents at the end of the year. And the couple and that were or are are going to be in a position where their clubs are in contention. So they didn't really want to give them up. So the, it was very limited market in that regard. Only a few names. And for us, when we looked at it, we thought, is that a big upgrade for us? And then you put in the acquisition price, which we thought were were very high for the type of players. We just didn't think that that was going to make a difference of us. And we would say, well, this guy might make a half a win difference if Rojas doesn't hit. And say, well, let's take a chance on Rojas and that combination. And Pache is going to go on injury rehab, I think, as early as tomorrow. And he'll be back uh, within a week. So he's right there. And really, he has done a great job for us when he's played. Yeah, so Dave, how challenging it is it to kind of upgrade your strategies? You've had this perspective for so many decades, and a lot of things change year to year, right? Whether it's the the class, and most importantly, sometimes the collective bargaining and the rules. Can you take us into a year where something was like a seismic shift in how you had to do business this time of year, and and what that was like? Well, there are a, there are changes. Um... And I think in some ways it's fun and it's fresh. I mean, because you, you, you're you're always thinking and challenged. And that's what, I mean, people a lot of times, well, what are you doing that for? I said, well, I'm, I'm reading the box scores. I'm looking at the names. I'm watching games because that's my responsibility to know what's taking place and to use all that information. So you want to have that. I can't tell you that there's ever been a change. Um, I mean, it would go back years um, before even you guys were born in some ways, uh, because I mean, way back when, I mean, believe it or not, there was a time in which the middle we had where you can only make trades within your own league after a certain time period. And then all of a sudden you couldn't make any trades. And that goes back into the seventies and early eighties where mm -hmm. the trading deadline, I believe at one time might've been with the other league might've been June 15th. You couldn't make a trade. And cause then you had waivers right. at that time. You had to get waivers to make trades. So it was a whole different situation at that time. One of the biggest things that have changed in recent time period, though, I will say is that, um, and it's been a few years is now where your rosters after August 1st are set. You can't make trades after August 1st. And before even though it was difficult, you could always you could ask waivers on players. And if you got the waivers, you could make a trade at that time on those players. And there are a lot of players that cleared, particularly big dollar contract 
because those guys are at that point where people didn't want to claim them or very few clubs wanted to claim because they didn't want to take the risk of claiming them. And you at that point saying, okay, we're going to let his contract go. And so you own them. So there were players available. And also then there was also, if you claimed a player, you'd have 48 hours to make a trade with that particular team for the player. So that happened too. But really it has been a big change here where after August 1st, you can't trade for any player unless they're a minor league player and have not signed a big league contract. So when you get to August 1st, you have to know this is it. We're not doing anything else. So for example, for us, a big change, let's just say the Michael Lorenzen trade. Um, maybe in the past, you might've said, you know, we'll, we'll kind of wait, we'll play it out. We'll see if we have an injury. We'll see what ends up taking place. Um, and then if we need somebody, well, we'll be able to trade for somebody that passed, has passed through waivers or claimed someone. You can't do that anymore. So this is where you need to play your cards. And so a lot of times people say, well, they didn't, I saw a couple, they don't need another starter. Well, we, first of all, we want to keep our starters fresh. They pitched a lot of innings, but secondly, this is your last opportunity to make that type of acquisition. So changes your thought process as far as going out there and, and what type of move you may make. Dave, can I ask you if you, if you talk much to the Mets, uh, the Mets were one of the most aggressive sellers. So just curious if, if they would have made a trade with your team. I, I wonder if they would have been open to trading uh, even Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander to your teams. I'm just curious about the dynamics of teams talking well, in the same division. Great question. Normally in your own division, you don't trade with the play, the clubs, right? But And two rivals like ourselves. But you also reach the point where if one – club figures we're out of it and the other club thinks okay we're in it we ha i have made trade with clubs like that before because really at that time they could care less where the player is going as long as they get good return the only difference in this case might be for example they traded david robertson to miami so somebody that's right. in, in in their own division but robertson's a free agent at the end of the year but if you traded guys like Scherzer or Verlander within the division, and I'm not, I, I do not know this. I'm just saying speculatively, you also know they're going to be pitching against you not only for two months now, but they're going to be pitching against you next year. And that may have been something that they prefer not to do. Got it. Um, all right. Let, let, let's talk about a couple of things involving your team moving forward. Bryce Harper, now a first baseman. Uh, I mean, watching this guy, I've been amazed by how good he's been at that position. And and you know, like not just physically making plays, but decision-making uh, of a player who has never had to make those decisions before mm -hmm. in the field in real time. And one thing I've wondered, is it possible that as you think about how your team lines up over the horizon – is it possible Bryce Harper is your first baseman of the future as opposed to going back to the outfield? Well, if you'd say, is it possible? I'd say, yes. Is it possible? Uh, we have not had that conversation at all. Um, the only thing I do know is that I asked him oh, a week ago or so, or 10 days ago, uh, how he likes it. And he likes it a great deal. And, and part of it is you're, you're involved. You're much more involved in the action on every pitch, being in the infield compared to the outfield, much more action. It doesn't surprise me in one sense in how well he's played over there because he's a good athlete. He works very hard. He's wants to, to perfect it. And he'd been working on it for a couple of months, taking ground balls from our infield coach, Bobby Dickerson, who's outstanding and working with him. But 
Bryce Harper and Doug, you can relate to this. I'm sure playing out there, there's certain guys that just have instincts of the game. They, they, they know the game. They, they understand where guys need to go. And sure. You might have to practice at a time or two when you're there. Cause a certain play comes up when you're an infielder, do you trail on that player? You're the cutoff man. What do you do? But Bryce is just so intelligent about the game of baseball that he picks it up like that. So it doesn't surprise me. And uh, we'll wait and we'll see what ends up happening. I, I really, uh, really makes no difference to me personally, because as long as Bryce Harper's in our lineup, I don't care where he plays because he's good. You just want to get his bat in the lineup. And you can see right now, I mean, he's been hitting, but you're also starting to see that that power swing start to come back. And we also know when he gets hot and he gets going, I, the next couple months, it wouldn't surprise me, and hopefully into three months, on the type of numbers he ends up putting up over that time period because he's starting to hit the ball hard and all over the ballpark, and, and you can see seeing the ball very well. Well, you know, Dave, and, and you know, with, this, <clears throat> with respect to where you are, like the wild card and this sort of structure now of the additional wild card team the last couple of years, I mean, how has that sort of impacted – your strategy, you know, you were in the World Series last year. So it's not like you're saying, oh, I just want to get here. How does that sort of last year feed into the fact that you're looking beyond the wild card, even though that's, you know, where you're battling right now? Well, it's huge, really. And I mean, it's an unusual year for us in that regard. Um, I mean, every year you're trying to get in the postseason, no matter what. And and I've told people this, it's um, in my career, been to the World Series five times two times with clubs that have won the division and three times that were wild cards. <laughs> so it, it really, now you'd rather win your division, right? I mean, but it doesn't mean you can't overcome it. Really the challenge to me is that first round that, you know, best of three, but it's also unusual for us this year because the Braves are so good and they're so far ahead. I really don't have in my own thought process and you never can tell what happened hey, we're going to try to catch the Braves during the regular season. I know when I was with the Marlins way back when we won in 97 as a wild card team, but and we had a really good team, but the Braves, that's when they were winning division every year and they were trotting out a good starting pitcher and they would beat you all the time. And, and But it was tough to beat them during the regular season, but you'd say, okay, let, let's, let's go to a short season, short series. And it's a lot different in a short series because – I remember at that time, well, we had Kevin Brown, we had Al Leiter, we had, well, Alex Fernandez got hurt, and uh, LeVon Hernandez, and all of a sudden, a short series, it's a little bit different. And that's how you, you look at it, really. And so for us, if we can make it, and of course, you would not play the Braves in the first round, they'd potentially be, be a second round opponent for you, uh, which they were last year for us. Well, then you have to beat them in a short series. That's what it ends up happening. And I like our club in short series. I, I, I really do. I think that we have a club that with the star quality players that we have and some of the good young players, if anybody can hit good pitching, which is very difficult for anybody to do, we have as good a chance to do as anybody. If all of a sudden Harper gets hot and Riamulto swinging the bat and Schwarber gets hot during one of those streaks and you've got Trey Turner who's turning it on. And I also know we have very good start and pitching, and we have bullpen depth. We're getting Alvarado back, and I like the back end of our, our bullpen. All of a sudden, you've got Alvarado, you've got Soto, you've got Kimbrell, you've got Sir Anthony Dominguez, you've got Strom. Some of our starters can go back there. 
Um, and I also know that our starting pitch, and when you have Wheeler and Nola, Suarez, these guys throwing as well, they can shut down anybody, really. So now the, the key is you got to get there, and you got to get through the first round, because that one scares me, those short series when you're best of – not only best of five, but best of three scare me. But yeah. I like our chances if we can get in. That's really ends up being our philosophy at this point because, again, the Braves are on so far on on the horizon that thinking about catching them during the regular season doesn't even make make sense to me. All right, but here's another difference from not just 1997, but even last year. Last year, you 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 got into the wild card by one game, the last spot. This year. As we're recording this, you're tied for the number one spot. Uh, that's obviously a big deal because that number one wild card doesn't just get home field in the first round. It hosts all three games in that round. Curious whether that was a factor in how you approach the trade deadline, for example. Well, first of all, you'd love to have that. I mean, you'd love to be the first wild card, right? Um but we have 50 games to play and we'll see where that ends up happening. But uh, you want to get in, but of course you would, cause you'd rather play at home if you had your choice, but it really, I don't think it factored in, in our decision-making because we just want to put the best club that we possibly can. Ideally though, if you're going to be a wild card, you'd rather be the number one because you're the one that gets the, the home games. And even though last year we won as the road club, I think you'd still much rather be hosting those games than rather than being on the road. Right. Um, all right, let, let's end this the way we started this. We talked about <laughs> how many deadlines you've been through. I, I decided to look back yesterday at some of your deadline deals, especially the years when your team won its division or went to the World Series. Uh, 1997 Marlins traded for Darren Dalton. 2006 Tigers traded for Sean Casey. Uh, 2014, you had the big deadline day trade for David Price. 2018 Red Sox traded for Nathan Avaldi. Um, do you have a favorite deadline deal? <laughs> oh, well, well, the ones that helped us win the World Series. <laughs> no matter how many times you've been to the World Series, it's a lot better to win than it is to lose. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's interesting because when you mention those trades, the 97, when, when I talk about the 97, you talk about getting Dutch Dalton who was a key integral part of that. We also got Craig Council at that time. Yeah. Who was a triple um, A second baseman at Colorado Springs that one of our scouts, Dick Egan recommended and said, I think this is the guy that will do the job because we just needed somebody to get their uniform dirty with the star laden club. And so he was right. And so when you make a deal like that, yeah to get not only the big guy, Darren Dalton, but also get a Craig Council. And then in 2018, when you mentioned Nathan Avaldi, we also got Steve Pearson in the World Series MVP. So uh, really, I, I would have to say those would be my favorite because those are the ones that won <laughs> for us. And it was a combination, but it's also, it's always interesting because um, great scouting contributes to that people making the right recommendation for the right players. And so for me, it was that with Steve Pierce. I remember Allard Baird, who was a specialist assistant at that point, said, this is the guy that will really swing the bat from the right-hand side. And we got Ian Kinsler, too, who came yeah. in and played second base for us during that time period. And so it was really, and as I mentioned, Dick Egan's name when I was back with the Marlins. So it's really, um, 
a nice combination of individuals. And hopefully uh, the recommendations we had this year for Castro and Lorenzen can lead us to that same place. Yeah, you know what? It's also a reminder that sometimes it's not the big blockbuster deals. It's the little <laughs> deals, you know? All right. No Rodolfo, Cadastro, Rodolfo Castro is that guy this year. Yeah, well, hopefully that's the case because that's what I think it's so important that you know your club and what you need. And sometimes you need a right-handed hitter. Sometimes there's a superstar. But like I said, back when I was with the 97 club, we didn't need any more stars. We had so many stars. <laughs> we needed somebody to get the uniform dirty that could improve us at second base. And that was Craig Council. Right. Hey, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. I, I know how busy your days are. Uh, thanks for making yet another visit to Starkville. Doug, can we get this man another key to the city? Absolutely. Well, statues and keys. Uh, I guess you already have a statue, so we'll work on the key. Yes. Yeah, we're behind on the on the uh, manufacturing process of both the statues and the keys. But Dave, you're welcome back here anytime. Well, thank you. That's all COVID related. I'm sure still that don't work. That's right. It's all thanks supply chain. Me. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay, it's that time again. It is time for listener trivia our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Doug, we finally yeah. broke our losing streak last week, so we're going for two in a row this week. Uh, just so I know, are you better at trivia after a red eye or worse? Uh, I know like brain, our brain cells are definitely not quite the same after we yeah. fly all night. What do you think? Uh, it takes a little longer um, but I think I eventually get there. So it's like a tortoise in the hair type of scenario. I'm in the tortoise mode right now, but okay. I'll get there. I'll get there. All right. So I'm in, I'm in charge of the hair. You're in charge of the tortoise. I can manage yes. that. Yes. Sounds doable. Uh, all right. Well, time to see if we can go undefeated in August. Um, <laughs> not that this question's conducive to that, but we got a shot. <laughs> we do. So let's welcome in this week's special Trivia guest star, it's Ben Remus, and I believe yeah. it's his first time here. Ben, welcome yeah. to Starkville. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be in Starkville. It's well, great. Yes. Yeah, well, yes. The, the, it's lovely this time of year. <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah. Ben is wearing a Cardinals cap as we speak. Mm. He yes. also wears a Cardinal cap uh, in his photo on the app formerly known as Twitter. So, Ben, is that just a random cap or is there some deeper meaning to it <laughs> yeah and i'm from st louis and it's been a rough year but i'm still gonna still gonna wear the hat anyway um, uh, so yeah. how, how you how you feeling about the 2023 cardinals pretty fun season um, no i've never seen anything like this i'm i'm 23 years old so this is the first time i've ever seen this before it's uh it's been a very strange summer for sure yeah we You've literally never seen anything like this. We went through this with Derek Gould a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Cardinals have not finished last in 30 years, mm -hmm. and they finished last once in the last 100 years. <laughs> once in 100 years. So never in Ben's lifetime has he experienced what he's experiencing this season. So stay tuned. Uh, all right, let, let, let's, we should get this over with. Uh, ben, why don't you hit us with your question? All right. So the inspiration is Cardinals themed. Um, Imagine so, that. <laughs> yeah, surprise. Um, so over the weekend, uh, Nolan Gorman hit his 24th home run of the season. Um, so it's going to be tough for him to reach the 40 home run plateau. But it got me thinking, you know, a second baseman, that much power. How often has that happened? Turns out there are five second basemen to have hit 40 home runs in a season. 
So the question for you is, can you name them? All right. Uh, for, first off, um, this is how I f- come up with trivia questions all the time. Something happens, it gets me to thinking, and it leads to a trivia question. So they're very well done. Excellent question. Excellent thought process. Uh, right. So we, the, so five second basemen in history, history have had a 40 homer season. Need to hmm. uh, get through a couple of things before we dig in. Uh, first is... How are we defining this? Would that be like 50% of their games at second? Yeah, uh, so it's it's 50% at second. Um, I even lowered it further and it still holds, but 50% okay. is kind of the, where I was going All right. with. Okay, good. Um, now, here's the other okay. thing. This is very important. Yes. When you ask a question with five answers, that means you have oh. you have ventured above the Glanville line. Uh, yeah. Doug, where's, where did we set on. the Glanville line? three questions three answers to the question normally i think i think we were trying to go bold and go uh, in the four range because i feel like we could, we could probably get three um <laughs> so i'm gonna and i've you know it's known as the glanville cheating scheme but I, i'm rebranding it today i'm calling it operation multiple choice <laughs> so um yeah so from here on we're just calling it the omc and uh for, so according to omc policy yeah, four feels a little bit, you know, so we're negotiating for four out of five, maybe, and see what happens. But we'll guess five if, you know, if, if, if that makes it fun. <laughs> I, I promise you, we will guess five. That's part of the, <laughs> the devious, wait, what do we call it again? Operation OMC, multiple Operation Multiple Choice. Yeah, right. Uh, parentheses, <laughs> not a devious cheating scheme. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, I think we can do this. I think we can get four out of five. Um this feels to me like one that I've researched a few times. So all right, I've got some ideas. Uh, okay, first one, I'm, obviously. I'm Ryan riding Stanford. your coattails today. Okay, you, okay. Rhino right. hit forty. Yes. Yeah, I, we know uh, he's yep. the easy one. Okay. All right. Here's another one from not yep. that long ago. Yep. Brian Dozier hit forty yep. in maybe like 2016, something like that. I'm yeah, sure he did it. Okay, so that's two. Yep. yep. Um, let's work through the others. Um. Right, there's one that came up on Immaculate Grid the other day, at least my Dave Johnson, the year the yep. Braves had four players with 40 homers in Ooh. the 70s, whatever that was. I'm pretty sure he did that and did it as a second baseman. Right hand, wow, that's a good one. Yeah, I remember the Stratomatic card. Yeah, yeah, okay. Here's another name, one. uh, mm. Alfonso Soriano. Oh, so he definitely he hit 40, right? Yeah, he did. I, the question yeah. is whether he did it as a second baseman. I think he did. I'm going to throw okay. it. Yeah, it's, it sounds right. Right. So I, um, I, I just gave you four names. Um, yeah, I was I was kind of riding their coattails there. Yeah. Okay. So you want to um, hear some of the other names I would written down? It was like Rogers Hornsby on there or something. We play. <laughs> He's a name. That's He's, a good name. He, he, he was good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wrote mm-hmm. down Dan Ugla. Had a bunch yeah, of 30 homer seasons. I don't think he ever hit 40, but maybe. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Kent. Ooh. He had more homers than any second baseman in history. He won an MVP. Yeah. I don't think he hit 40, but it's not impossible in San Francisco as a right-handed hitter. Right? Yeah. Uh, Chase mm. Utley, I don't think so. But I think he got to 40. Throwing him out there. Craig Biggio hit 50 doubles. Uh, never yeah. 40 homers. I don't think he is. Uh, Joe Morgan... Yeah, Not, never quite got to forty. But forty is a big number. Yeah, so th- those are the, those are the names on my list. Doug, what do you got? Mm. Yeah, I mean, well, I took a couple out of my mouth there on Soriano, and I feel like he he did it. I was, you know, I was thinking, you know, 
I don't know, like Brett Boone or Marcus Giles, those Brett kind of Boone cats. Had some big years. Brett Boone, he, he had a lot of home Marcus runs. Marcus Giles is another one. He, yeah, I had him written down. Um, I always go through the divisions here. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tony Batista, did he play second or is he just third he, and first? Yeah, it's a good question. He did I play a little second. I don't, I, but I, like that one crazy year when he hit 40, I think he was a third baseman. 40 home runs for second base. That is amazing. And I, it just became less amazing. And it feels like a lot of these recent times. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was wait, wait, Robinson Cano. Where, where is he? That's another really good one. Ah. Uh, yeah. Robinson Cano. Um, I'm just going by division here in my head. Um, Let's see. Kansas City. Anybody KC? Texas, Houston. I mean, Marcus Simeon. How many did he hit? Yes, last year. Uh, well, last year he got off to a really slow start and then got going. Um, the year before he went to Texas, he hit a ton of homers. Right, um, and wasn't he? Did he just get converted to second he base before? Second in Toronto when he hit all the homers. Ooh. Or no? Did he I get? I, yeah, he won. He won the Gold Glove as a second baseman. Was that with Texas? And Biggio was at short, so it would, he would have played second. Wow, that's a great guess. Hmm. 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 Um, okay, now, now we get too many names. Yeah, that's that's that, that's right. my list right there. So, uh, okay. okay. Um, all right, Ben, you should right. understand we're it's part of Operation Multiple Choice, not a deep <laughs> scheme. We're we are going to guess five at least. Uh, that's that, that's Glenville's new, not a devious cheating scheme. Um, Got to write these so, guys down here. Okay, so okay, we only so, need to come up with four. All right, right, so all right, Sandberg, Dozier, Soriano. We're good with those three, right? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so then Davy Johnson. Uh, I mean, it might have been Marcus Ball Simeon. He definitely hit. Yeah. Okay. Brett, the Robinson Brett can know. They Brett Boone. All right, you come up with you come up with the last two. I'll I'll put this on you. Davy Johnson, Robinson Cano. Uh, All right. I I just keep seeing Davy Johnson's stratomatic card in my head, and yeah. I just it's it's hard for me to let that go. I know he hit forty home run. Was he a second baseman? I mean, I, and it was I, it was with Atlanta. Was. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I so I I, I think I think you got to go with Davy. So okay. I will add Davy Johnson. Now it's like Robinson Cano, Brett Boone. I mean, did Boone hit forty? Maybe hit like forty. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't think Brett Boone's the answer. I think <sighs> it's Cano or Simeon. Mm, okay. I just all right. I know Simeon hit forty home runs. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's guess him. So wait, but was he a shortstop? I I, oh. I he hit forty going into free agency. Am I right? Yeah, did he With play Toronto oh. and? Right. Wasn't did they didn't move Bo him? Be, a... Didn't didn't Bo come up that year? I think he did. All right. Twenty nineteen. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, all right. Let's just go, Simeon. So David Johnson. Oh wait, and Marcus... oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on one second. I mean, he's he, been in he Texas wondered... two years, right? Yeah. So was he converted? So the, the year in Toronto was was a short season. It was the COVID season. Was it? Wait, twenty two. So 21. I think did he hit forty 20... in Oakland? In 21. Well, all right. He got the big money because he had this phenomenal year in Oakland. I mean, that's where the money came from. Right? So what was he at second 
or did the Rangers convert him to second? I thought he moved to second before. Yeah, before, he was playing second he, before he got to Texas. Yeah, so I mean, okay, you want to guess him? We, we, I think yeah. we got four anyway. I, so I do want to guess him because I, <laughs> okay. I just feel like I. <laughs> right. No, I'm not. I'm not sure. Cano is amazing, but maybe hit 37 or something. Uh, okay, um, then we've, okay. We've, look, we've done enough thrashing here. Uh, <laughs> any chance that it is Ryan Sandberg, Brian Dozier, Alfonso Soriano, Davy Johnson, Marcus Simeon, or four of the above? The uh, the multiple choice has uh, worked in your favor. That's four out of five. <laughs> Operation Nicely done. Yeah. Uh, Soriano was incorrect. He didn't. As a second baseman, he hit 39. Um, oh. in, yeah. There's so same, with, hit, same with Cano. But so yeah. he had 40 weaves in the outfield then. Then. Yep. Oh my gosh! Amazing. Yeah, I so, just wait, I just double checked. He didn't play a single game. Uh, the one you missed was Rogers Hornsby. You mentioned him, but oh, back in 1922. Yeah, we forget Rogers Hornsby. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. the leader. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So all, all I know is that we've gotten two in a row right, <laughs> and I'm making sure that we can count these as getting them right, even though we don't get them all right. <laughs> uh, um, we even if we get four Hornsby, out of five. Uh, yes. And we have the not a nefarious cheating scheme in effect. Do we need to slap an asterisk on here no. or anything? No, no, no. It's preconditioned, so we're 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 glorious here. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's why we have to negotiate with Operation <laughs> Multiple Choice. We need a now we need a legal team at Starkville. We have to hire a we have to hire a legal team. <laughs> okay, uh, we have a, a lot of a lot of lawyers looking for work. Ben, does it feel <laughs> like we? Does it feel like we got this right to you? I was impressed. You named not only the people that uh, had gotten 40 home runs, but you had most of the top list, Boone and uh, Soriano and Cano. Like, those were all the 39 home run guys, too. I think the only person you didn't mention was Brandon Lau, who got to 38. Oh, yeah. Everybody, right. everybody else, you you named the whole crew. So I think it's a success. Uh, okay. If, it's, if it works that. for him, it works for us. And oh, yeah. either way, one thing is always true. Whether we get these questions right or wrong, the best part of the segment is still not the part that involves us. <laughs> it's the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play a classic play-by-play clip involving this week's answers. Tim, I don't know what you have for us this week. <laughs> if you found a Rogers Hornsby sound <laughs> Uh, you're gonna get bonus mayor points this week i i did not um it's a good thing that the question asks or askers are lenient because technically <laughs> simeon was your fifth guess right and soriano was, was like it? number three i don't recall I, i'm i'm on board i'm on board we'll give it to you I, and it is impressive that you had like everyone close too so it was it was a good discussion this was one of the better like thrashing arounds because yeah. i really <laughs> thought you were going to talk yourselves out of simeon when you started bringing up the a's i was like oh no oh, oh no but but good job so we're gonna go right there because simeon has the record with 45 so we'll go with uh with him setting the record in toronto back in september of 2021 simeon deep left field gone mm -hmm. Start for the Blue Jays tonight, up two to nothing already. Charlie Montoya is going to do the honors with that record-setting home run right there from Marcus Simeon. Boy, did he ever turn on that fastball! He's now got 44 home runs on the season. 
And obviously he hit one more to give himself some distance. He did. Yeah. Wow. Uh, our friend Dan Schulman on the call of that magic moment. Uh, ben, what a great question. Uh, thank you for joining us in Starkville and please come back again sometime. Okay. Thanks. I will. I got to say I was, uh, I was late to school every Tuesday morning listening to the Jason Stark <laughs> trivia question. So All right, the, the, mic, uh, the mic and mic to be on the other side. is uh, it's really special. So thanks. Uh, I gotta, I gotta ask you this. I ask everybody who brings this up to me. Yeah. Did you get all those Mike and Mike questions, right? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> but I like them. <laughs> <laughs> those are good times. Hey Ben, thanks so yeah. much, man. Come back again. Yeah, thanks, thanks man. Appreciate course. it. Love you. Have a good Take one. Yeah. Just remember that you too can be part of these trivia segments, just like Ben. We'll tell you how in just a few minutes. Strange but true. I am so excited about our strange but true segment this week, just because I cannot wait to hear the epic call of this thing again. Um, this is a little different. That our usual strange but true segments, uh, there's no little historical nuggets that we're going to frame this with, but it's still so great. Uh, this is from Saturday Night, White Sox Guardians. Wait, was it Saturday Night? Let's just say from this was from Saturday, White Sox Guardians. Jose Ramirez slides into second base. Tim Anderson slaps a tag on his back just a little too hard and. Uh, why don't we let the great Tom Hamilton radio voice of the Cleveland Guardians and friend of the program handle the rest. A swing and a smash to first by the diving Vaughn. Down the right field line. Kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in to score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Hosey and Anderson square off. upset about anything they came up chewing Anderson squared off Hosey decked him it's a five to one Chicago lead but everybody from the dugouts and the bullpens congregated around second base you never see Jose Ramirez get upset like that and Tim Anderson was on the wrong side of that punch. Oh, my God. Mm, Tom Hamilton call. is just the best. <laughs> Down goes Anderson. I mean, so amazing. Classic, Doug. Really Your thoughts. Sponta spontaneously calling it like that. I mean, because, I mean, how in the world would you ever anticipate that happening? He just laid it out. Jose Ramirez <laughs> never gets upset about anything. So why would you even have a call in your back pocket for that? I mean, it was like. It was like a prize boxing match. Right. Like he switched into a baseball game. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm so, yeah, I'm so glad that you that you phrase it just that way because it's not that often you're watching a baseball game and Joe Frazier versus George Foreman breaks out. But not only did this happen, uh, but it really conjured up Joe Frazier almost exactly. I, I want you to listen to this. Angie Dundee, Ali's trainer right next to me, is saying it. You may hear him. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. The heavyweight champion is taking the mandatory eight count, and Foreman. 
Tomlin is as poised as can be in a neutral corner. Oh, there you go. Oh, that call. How great was that? So we had down goes oh. Anderson, down goes Frazier on Starkville. Oh, my goodness. We've, <laughs> good we've covered that? all the sports, the wild, wide world of sports. And I mean, yeah, that, you know, it's it's so tough to be that spontaneous when you're literally switching sports and have the voice for all of them. You know, I mean, that's Hamilton. He's incredible. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've tried to take a couple of days to try to dissect this whole thing. And, uh, you know, and I've so I played for Terry Francona, the manager of the Guardians. Uh, I was, you know, riding to the airport with Eduardo Perez. So he was talking about or Perez. I should, you know, I was so back in the day. So I'll go back to the, Eduardo Perez. Nice. And, um, you know, I, I think of, you know, there's a lot. And and I, I certainly have, I've written about Tim Anderson and uh, what happened with Josh Donaldson uh, in recent times. And I know, you know, Anderson is is a player that is mega talented, plays with an edge and feels alone, you know, in the game for a whole host of reasons. And um, and so it is there's an element of him against the world that uh, has allowed him to be great, uh, but also have tensions, certainly. And um, and I've just and I've just never seen, you know, like usually in a brawl, right, you are recognizing that the tools of your trade are all encapsulated in your body right and your mind <laughs> and you need those things so despite like you want to fight and you have things to prove you're also all in the same fraternal order that you're trying to come out of it healthy and so it's unusual when you basically have the circle going where it's like go fight i mean the umpire got out of there in a heartbeat and it was just like this is it and nobody's kind of intervening that unusual and uh and i know some people think well that would resolve this whole thing if people actually really had the fight uh but you have your teammates and you rely on them to a certain degree but it's not the objective to you know get hurt or hurt someone permanently or something like that you're just trying to establish something it's like a fight over territory and once you kind of get it and your whole team you push and shove and you walk away and everybody's healthy so this was like you know this was serious and it led to, I mean, I don't know if Inus has a concussion, but he was definitely briefly knocked out. And with the concussion awareness and protocols, you know, I don't know what's going to be his, his timetable. So, um, but then you have Jose Ramirez, who just, you know, it's true. He's just been like a statesman. He's soft-spoken, goes about his business. One of the great players that maybe few know about in a certain level. Uh, he's, you know, just to be that upset. The other thing I read from that is there's more to it. You know, you don't still have a guy unless there's a lot more to it, react that way, right? So yeah. so there's history, there's beef, there's all these things that accumulate in a baseball player's mind and career. And that's why we're we're so petty as ballplayers. We also hold grudges forever because we also have to remember how a guy got you out three years ago. You have to have that kind of memory. And it spills into things like this that you might settle in a parking lot and all these things. So there's also that element. So I don't know. I'm curious to see what more we learn. The next couple of days, especially as the White Sox talk, talk more and and so on. But it it was like it was stunning. I you know, I watched that replay a thousand times, and and Tim Anderson was like he was having a lot of trouble getting off the field. They had to carry him. You know, I mean that was a he that was a blow that everybody was shocked. And you think about Jose Batista and and, and uh, Rubna Odor Odor, and That's you're like, good one. wow. So I say wow a couple times for that one. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, Doug, I, I know you're a lover, not a fighter, but you played baseball a long time. What was the wildest fight you were ever involved in in professional baseball? Well, I always love bringing up the time I charged him out, but I'm not going to do that this time because I think I've told I've told that story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have. Um, and yeah, I mean, what's unique about the minor leagues is we had a lot of fights and a lot of them spilled over to the point they had to institute a new rule system, fine, mandatory fine plus suspension because we got in that many fights. But I still think, so that was, I'll put that aside and, and come back to the big leagues. Um, I think I'd have to go with Braves Phillies because I know they did like a special on it in Atlanta. And it was Paul Bird who, you know, came over to, to us and was pretty solid for a while. I think, did he make the all-star team? He was really good at a stretch. Mm -hmm. And then he lost, he just had a command thing fall apart. He just lost command. And Birdie was, started to hit like three or four guys a game. I mean, a game. His velocity was down. He was just hitting people. Not intentionally, just didn't have any command. So we're in Philadelphia and he hits Eddie Perez. Now keep in mind, Paul Bird played for the Braves before. So he was friends with Eddie Perez. They were Bible study partners. They had a long history, but he hit Eddie Perez. Now, we knew it wasn't on purpose, but Paul was hitting four dudes a game. So, you know, at the time, Eddie Perez was playing with Ozzie Guillen. And Ozzie Guillen, as, as he notoriously is, he he was stirring the pot and was like, oh, you got to take that, you know, that kind of stuff. So I guess Eddie filed it away. So we go to Atlanta, and Paul Bird is pitching against the Braves. And he hits Eddie Perez in the back again. And this is a friend, and you know, and he looked, you know, forlorn, but he hit him. And Eddie Perez goes to exact revenge on someone other than Bird because they're friends. So he tries to take out Marlon Anderson at second base on a double play. And Marlon Anderson got the best of him. He literally like elbowed him in the face, knocked his helmet off. And now he's really mad. And, of course, Ozzie Guillen is also stirring the pot. So you think about the batting order. I'm leading off. Paul Bird's hitting ninth. He goes up to hit, and Eddie Perez is catching, and he confronts Bird at the plate before he even bats and then literally, like, pushes them in the face, and they start fighting at home plate. So I'm on I'm on deck, so I have to go. And, and Schilling was at the top step. He actually beat me to the pile. <laughs> <laughs> he beat me the whole play before I even got there. And I jump in this, and I have my helmet on. And all I know is I'm at the bottom of the pile. And my legs are pinned. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of this. Ozzie Guillen thinks it's a good idea to try to pull me out by my neck. He literally tried to pull me out by my head with my legs pinned. So I had a stiff neck for three days, but that's a sign. But I hear in the pile, Paul Bird and Eddie Perez in prayer. They were apologizing in tears, upset, because they kind of regretted starting this national incident between the two teams and were regretting it and now decided that the way out of it was prayer. So they start praying. I'm like, wait a minute. So these two guys who started this fight, who are great friends and Bible study mates, they're now praying in the pile as people are trying to rip each other's head off. So that is like, okay. So I didn't know how I was going to get out. And eventually, the amazing thing about brawls that are really fun is that people talk all this trash about what they did in the fight. 
oh man, did you see it? I threw Ryan Klesko with one hand. I did this. I I drop kicked the you know Leo Mazzoni, you know whatever. They talk all this trash, but then we have video. So the fun part about brawls is when you go back the next day in the video room and then watch it again and see who's telling the truth. And there was all kind of embellishment going on. And of course, one thing we found is Ramon Hernandez. Uh, I'm sorry, Ramon Henderson. He was our bullpen catcher, I think, or coach. I forgot his total title. And he comes sprinting in from the bullpen, and he pulls a hamstring going to the bullpen. Right. So trying to get, to, so he didn't even make it. He didn't even make it to the pile. He's trying to help. So people lost their minds. I mean, I think it was Ryan Klesko or Brian. Someone threw Bobby Abreu aside like he was paper mache. And uh, we had to play that on replay. It might have been Klesko or someone like that. So that ball was crazy. And it kept going. And, and little fire start and other fire start. But in the end, you know, they made peace. I know Eddie and Paul, like, both work for the Braves or something. So everything's good. But it just goes to show, like, I was in this pile. It's like, this is kind of real. Most of the time they're pushing around. But, um, you know, the prayer got us out of it. And I think when the two guys that started it, kind of try to back up, then you kind of realize that maybe we need to stop because someone might actually get hurt. So I think of the Braves Phillies, and I always think of that that brawl with Paul Byrd and Eddie Perez, two of the most unlikely guys to get into a fight, yeah. fighting each other. And Ozzy again trying to give me a stiff neck, which he did. Okay, so congratulations. So as you're as you're watching the replay a thousand times in the video room, was yeah. there any footage at all of Harry Callis or Skip Carey saying, down goes Glanville, down <laughs> goes Glanville. I did not get punched, thankfully. I, <laughs> but I you did, did go to the bottom I, of the pile. You I, said. Well, I got there and I was trying to pull them apart. And then I don't know what happened. I got hit by a wave of both teams and I didn't, all I know is at the bottom of the pile. And it, it's pretty scary down there because yeah. it's like spikes, like people who are standing up are like jumping around and the spikes are, you know, flying near you, and you're just thinking you're going to get stepped on. Um, I mean, I kept, you know, I don't know these fools that charge them out and take their helmet off. I just think that's just a bad idea. I kept my helmet on because I was on deck. But, um, yeah, it was it was brutal. And um, But, yeah, we, you know, we made it out. And But so that's why Anderson, that was, they, were, they squared up. And I know the analysis boxing is that Anderson squared up like a lefty, even though he's a righty, he kind of faced the wrong way. So that was a bad sign. And um, but that's what I was told from the boxing expert. So yes, and I at one point I did get tangled up with Oral Hersizer, which was really shocking. But that did happen in Philly when Bonds charged him out. And so, you know, anything can happen in a ball. You know, people like Oral and I. So yeah. that's how it goes. Wow. But but there's no down goes Glanville. But there is never... down goes Anderson. What what a moment. Incredible. What a moment. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So say you'd like to read uh, our fun coverage of this fight in The Athletic. Uh, we can tell you how to do that. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can sign up for a one-year subscription for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. 
But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick a fun listener trivia question. Then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove once again that there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong unless we're applying Operation Multiple Choice. <laughs> That's our ticket. Yes. All right, yes. so if you would like to do that, let's go through all the ways you can do it. Uh, you can email us at starkvilleattheathletic.com. Uh, there's still threads. Uh, you can find our calls for trivia every week on threads. Uh, you can check out my Facebook fan page. We're getting some really fun questions there every week. Or you can do what most people do. You can hit us with trivia, uh, preferably trivia, not haymakers, on the site formerly known as Twitter. Um Doug, you know, it still says Twitter.com. I'm so I'm trying to figure out what the term is for this, but I I guess we need to ask people to X at us. So mm. let's assume someone wanted to X a question to you. How would they do that? I mean, it, it, it sounds kind of profane. You're Xing at me. It does. Uh, or it's X Twitter. It, it's like formally, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but yes, yeah, like whatever you want to call it. I still have an at symbol in front and just go Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. That's it. I'm still there. I, I'm not X'd out yet. <laughs> I wonder if they'll put an X instead of an at. I'd, I'd watch for that. That'd, that'd, be, that'd be weird. But all I know is I am at Jason S-T. That's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Don't forget, hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. All right, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Dave Dombrowski for the uh, fun deadline update. Uh, thanks to Ben Revis for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And Doug and I will see you next week. Uh, uh, Starkville. Starkville. Starkville.